You know, when we come into this season that we're in, and we're going through this series called As For Me and My House, you're always going to have opposing forces. You're going to have good and evil. And I'm not saying, you know, football is good and evil. But you have two opposing forces coming together with the hopes that someone wins. That's the whole point to this sporting game today is that there would be a winner. And some of you are saying Seahawks. Some of you are saying Patriots and whatever the issue. But when it comes to this game called life, you are in itself on the playing field. You're not on the sideline. You can try to get yourself on the sideline. And if you do, you're going to come to a place that you're going to have to rethink some things. In the game of football and in some sports, you have this thing called halftime. That is a break between either the first half and the second half or between uh, the periods. And they'll give you that time to rest, to make some adjustments, and to reevaluate what's been going on. And so today, we want to look at this thing called halftime. Because for many of us, today will begin that halftime. The day that we can start to rethink some things, to evaluate some things, to adjust some things, or maybe even to think about rest. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to continue with talking about the nation of Israel and how Joshua was leading the people into the promised land. And now that they're there, what were some things that Joshua wanted to communicate to the people? Because now it's kind of like their halftime. So you can take out your notes. And I want to give you the, the blanks right now so that you can fill them in. And the first thing that we're going to learn today is this thing called rest. R-E-S-T. Rest. Because in this situation that Joshua and the Israelites are in, they're now entering, they, they have already entered into the promised land. They had some battles. God is giving them rest. But it's a different kind of rest. Sometimes we think of rest as only sleep, which is good. It helps boost our immune system. It helps replenish our, uh, our blood cells, and it, it replenishes our torn tissues. It helps us to get better if we're sick. So rest is very important. But there is a rest that physical rest can never give. And it's a rest that God gives. It's a rest for our souls. So we're going to look at that. And then the second thing is to evaluate. Because there are things in our lives that we have to evaluate. We have to come to a place like halftime and start thinking through some things that maybe we have done that we got to get better at. Or maybe we've done some things and we just pushed it under the rug or, or swept it under the rug. But we got to evaluate. We've got to do that often. And then the final thing that we're going to look at is adjust. Now, we're going to make some adjustments. You know, some of us, you know, when we get up in the morning, our backs are sore and, or we go to the chiropractor. And basically what they do is they adjust our back. They adjust our spine and so that it's in the proper position. So we make those adjustments. When we drive, we're constantly adjusting along the way because we have to correct back to course. So today, we're going to look at those three different areas. And I thought about halftime. You know, when we grew up and we were playing, you know, like peewee football or Pop Warner, we loved the game. But when it came to halftime, there was just something special about halftime that helped us to get better for the second half. You could be losing during halftime. But because of the rest that you were given, making some adjustments and then evaluating, you can win the game. And some of us, maybe we're looking at our life and we're saying, 
boy, I, I'm losing right now, or maybe the score in my life is tied, or maybe I'm winning, and sometimes that's dangerous too, that you feel so far ahead, or you feel like, oh, my life is set, God is good, and so you just coast, forgetting about the things of God and the things that he's helped us with. Sometimes we go to God and we say, you know, my life is not doing so well. I'm not doing so well in my life. So we come to church, we read the Bible, we serve, we do different ministries, we give to God. But then when things get better, we slowly pull away from the things of God that got us to the place where now we're on solid ground. So even when we're ahead, that can be dangerous. Teams can lose because they have the mentality that we're ahead. That's how the Seahawks came back <laughs> and won for this now Super Bowl game. But when we were playing Pop Warner football, halftime had oranges. Remember that? I mean, some of you, you provide oranges for your, your children's sports team. And, and when, when the parents would bring out the oranges, now back then we never had Lee Mui powder. So now you guys put Lee Mui powder and, you know, it kind of boosts up the, the, the kids. And, but we would get distracted by the oranges. And the coach would say, okay, you guys, we got to get out there and, you know, no more fumbles. No more fumbles, okay? You, Luxin, you got to hang on to that ball. You got to hang on tight to that ball. Th that ball has to be your baby. And we're like, the baby? What are you talking about? But we would like the oranges. So we're just watching them pass around the oranges. And then he would say, okay, Luxin, you make sure you do this block. And, hey, you know, we didn't execute this play well, so make sure you do this and that. We're not even listening to the coach. Because the oranges are going by, and I'm counting the oranges. I'm like, okay, got like 30 in there. There's like 25 of us. We only can get one each. Brother took two. You took three. So I'm thinking, I better get oranges. So by the time the coach is done with making those adjustments and, and uh, evaluating us, if I was not paying attention due to this distraction, it can ruin the outcome of the game in giving us a loss. And I thought about where Joshua was with the Israelites, that he's like the coach standing up and kind of reassessing them as a nation and making some adjustments along the way. And, and he's kind of giving the history to this nation called Israel. And he's saying to them, here's where you're at. Here's how faithful God has been from the calling of our forefathers in Abraham, that now he has brought Abraham out of this foreign nation that we're serving different gods, and you had many gods. But now God has called him out so that he could serve the one God. And now we're a nation. And then after that, God raised up some people to lead this nation. And then you became slaves in Egypt, but God was still faithful. And then you were taken toward the Red Sea, and then you were stuck because the Egyptians were coming to get you. But God rescued you. He was faithful. He opened the Red Sea, and you crossed the Red Sea. Now we're entering into the Promised Land. And, and even then, God was faithful. You didn't have anything to eat. You didn't have water, but God was faithful, and he provided for you in the desert. You had manna, that bread from heaven, and God provided for you. So Joshua is letting them know these things, that how faithful God has been. In other words, what Joshua is telling the people is, you have nothing to fear because God has shown his faithfulness. Champions, take advantage of those halftime opportunities that their opponents seem to have missed. That's what champions do. Winners do that. If you want to be a successful husband, then take advantage of those halftime moments, the moments that you reassess, the moments that you reevaluate, and then you make some adjustments. Take those moments and those opportunities to do so. 
Because then you'll be successful as a husband, as a wife, as a father, a mother, a person that lives for God. You make those adjustments along the way. So now Joshua stands before the people and he's telling them, and it's in your notes, Joshua 24, verses 13 through 15. He comes to the culmination of his speech, of, of almost like the, uh, the, the closing of his, not necessarily his life, but the closing of the chapter of them being slaves in Egypt and going through the wilderness and entering the promised land. And so Joshua is kind of reiterating what the Lord has said. And he says this, I have given you a land for which you did not labor, and cities which you did not build, and you dwell in them. You eat of the vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now therefore, fear the Lord, serve Him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your forefathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. Serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your, forefather, which your fathers served that were on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And let's all read this part together. Ready? Go. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now Joshua is saying this, but it's, it's kind of like their halftime moment. Joshua is kind of settling them down and saying, okay, guys, here's where we've come from. Here's where we're going, but here's where we are. So yeah, you, you have the gods that are on the other side. You have the gods that are here in this nation. But you got to make this adjustment and evaluate your life that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's kind of a statement that we're making that we're not going to let just go by the wayside. We're saying to the Lord, this is our, our, our statement that we're saying, and this is how we're going to live. And so this idea that comes out of the Israelites settling in this land, the idea of rest or adjustments or evaluating, is something that will help us. Rest, for many of us, is probably the number one thing we need. We actually need physical rest. Now, Heidi and I were talking the other day, and I said, you know, Heidi, because um, I, I, I came home, and, and she just woke up. I did something early in the morning. And I said, I said how many hours of sleep do you need? And she says, well, I can operate on nine, nine hours. I can, I can do well with nine hours. I said, nine? I wish I had nine hours of sleep. I get like six. Like I can operate on four to six hours, and I'm good to go. Heidi says, no, 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 I need like nine to 12. Nine to 12 hours. I said, why do you sleep so long? And she says, that's because I'm making up for all the times that I had to watch our children that you weren't watching them. So I was like, wow, go back to sleep. You know, if, you, if you're tired, go back to sleep. But, ev you know, everyone's different in their rest time. But not only the physical rest, but God gives us rest for our souls. Now, why do we need this rest? Here's what the Bible teaches us. When Joshua was talking to the people, he says this in Joshua 23, verses 1 and 2, that the years passed and the Lord had given the people of, of Israel rest from all their enemies. Joshua, who was now very old, called together all the elders, leaders, judges, and, of, and officers of Israel. He said to them, I now, I am now a very old man. Did you know that, the, that when you have a lack of rest, you just feel old. You feel old. 
you get out of, or you roll out of bed, or you just lie there, and you just feel so old, you feel tired, your body is aching. And then as we go on in years, if we're not getting that proper rest, our body shuts down even quicker. And so that proper rest, it helps us to get revitalized and to help us live a vibrant life. And once they settled into the promised land, they were able to find rest from wandering in the desert for 40 years. They now found a hometown. Now, some of us find ourselves wandering right now. We're wandering from one thing to the next, and we don't know what our life is going to look like. And so this halftime moment is a great time to find that rest and how we're going to do that. Then maybe you need to choose to rest. Some of us don't know how to do that. We just cannot rest because we're thinking, oh, I'm going to be lazy. So we just don't rest. There's always something to do. We always have to be working. And we always have to be busy. Otherwise, we don't think we're being productive. But even rest can be productive. Now, some of us, on the other hand, we rest too long. We've been resting for a long time. And we have to get back on our feet and now get in the game because halftime is now over. we got to get back on our feet. So there is the balance. Some of us need rest. Some of us power rest, and we got to get, get going. And uh, so some of you are at a place that you don't know how to, uh, uh, I guess, balance it out where, well, my husband works, so I'm with the children, or vice versa, or my work schedule is so long, so I don't know how to rest or when to rest, or because of the schedule of our life with our children, when do we rest? Well, I, I always look at it this way. If you start talking about it in your family, then you can figure something out. But if it's just chaos and, you know, I'm tired, nobody gets, I can't sleep, you can't sleep, you got to sit down and start evaluating and talk about it because it's something that's that, it's that important for your family. Because if not, if we don't get the physical rest, hard to get the emotional rest, hard to get the soul rest because our bodies are tired now, why do we need to take care of our bodies? Well, think about it. As we age, our, our bodies need more time to recuperate. When you get hurt as a little child, you heal quickly. When you get hurt as an older person, it, it doesn't heal as fast. It just stays broke, and you just kind of live with it. But 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us, or do you not know? That your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a great price, uh, with a price. Therefore, glorify God with your body. It's important that we take care of our physical body. That's where evaluation comes in. That we evaluate, where am I at with my health, my physical health? Where am I at with my soul health and resting for my soul that I would be still and know that he is God? How will I get that rest? What do I need to do? What are some things that I need to do spiritually that would provide that soul rest? Or sometimes it's doing the things we love, that we enjoy. Some of you, you enjoy work, but something different than work, something that requires recreation, something that would build you up and kind of replenish your soul. Some of us need that, and that's kind of restful in itself. In fact, God gave a commandment. Remember what it was? That you shall rest on that seventh day. It was called the Sabbath. 
But the Sabbath was never created to be a day that you just sleep. You can. You can rest physically, but it wasn't the day itself. You're not going to find rest in the day. Remember when Jesus came? He said that the Sabbath day was made for man. That's what the Sabbath day was for. It was for us, not man for the Sabbath, where now we're stuck in it. He said, no, I'm going to give you rest. It's going to come from me. It's not going to come from a day. A day cannot do what I can do for your soul. And so Jesus brought to life what the Sabbath was all about. And so now Joshua's pledge to the people to choose this day whom you will serve was a way for them to evaluate every area of their life, which is our second point. That he's saying every area of your life, you got to now evaluate. You know, you have the gods which our fathers used to serve, but now we have, we, we have where we are right now, our one God. There is no other God but Yahweh. There is no other God but Jehovah God. There is no other God than the great I am. He is the Father of us all. That's why Jesus said, when you pray, we pray our Father who art in heaven. There is one God. And so now Joshua, Joshua is having them to evaluate, saying, okay, you have that, you have this, you got to choose. you got to make that decision. And they had to think about their family, their relationships, their finances, their attitude, their priorities. They had to think about their spirit. And it would only be challenging for those who really didn't love God. If they were only doing the things of God but didn't love God, then they would have a hard time making those adjustments as they evaluated. But because they loved God, they made some adjustments. In fact, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24, it says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my, anxiety, my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. Now, the psalmist didn't say to God to evaluate how he's doing at work. The writer of this, this psalm did not say, well, how am I doing with my reputation and, and uh, kind of correct that and what others think. He didn't even evaluate with the Lord how often he served the Lord. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart, the inner man, the mind or the will, the heart, the soul of understanding, the seat of your emotions, to know. And he said, I, can you search my heart? Know my heart. What he's saying is, you got to find, can you find out and discern anything in my heart that is not supposed to be there? Point out, show, make visible. Show me what's in my heart. And then lead me, guide me, bring me to the place that I'm supposed to be. And for some of us at this point in our life, if there was a scoreboard some of us would be ahead. Some of us would be tied. Some of us may be behind. But it's such a good time to evaluate where we are in life. In certain areas, you might be doing well. You might be winning as a father. But then maybe as a husband, not so good. Maybe you're tied. Maybe you're losing by a touchdown or something. And so now you have to evaluate and then make some adjustments. Maybe you're doing well as a wife, but maybe as a mother, you're feeling like, boy, I need to spend more time with my children. Whatever it is. Or as a business owner, you got to reevaluate and say, boy, I'm doing good at home, but i gotta, I got to get better at my business, whatever it would be. What, what would the scoreboard look like in the various areas of your life? And then make those adjustments. Evaluate it so that you can now be led by the Lord to come out on top at the end. 
might be behind, tied, or ahead or, or behind. The score just might be all over the place in every area of your life. But you want to do better. That's where halftime comes in. Now, regardless of where we are in life, we're going to need the Lord to lead us and show us because we don't see the second half. We have a big problem when it comes to halftime because we don't see the outcome of the game. We only see what's happening right now, whether winning or losing. That's where the coach comes in. The coach must see the end result. The coach must come into halftime and say, guys, we're down by 19 points, but I see the outcome of the game. All we need to do is make some minor adjustments. And then the coach puts some X's and O's on the board and says, all we need to do is execute these things and we'll be fine. That's what Jesus came to do. Jesus not only came to die for our sins, but he came to make some adjustments in our life. He came to bring hope and salvation for all of us. And so now when we come to him, he leads us in the place that we don't know where we're going. He sees the end result, so we follow him. He's going to guide us and bring us into the next season of our life. We don't know. We don't know what it looks like. Therefore, we evaluate. You know, we evaluate more on other people than we do on ourselves sometimes. Isn't it true that you'll, uh, I guess I can speak for myself, when, when I wear something and I know Heidi doesn't approve of it, it's because she gives me a certain look. Like I'll wear something and we're going out on a date night and all she has to say is, you're wearing that? That's what she'll say. And so I'm like, no, this is just like pregame uh, wear. So, <laughs> like, so I got to ask, well, what should I wear? And so she'll tell me what to wear. It's almost like after a while you get brainwashed as a husband. And then when you, when you look at clothes, you just kind of look at your wife and you're grabbing something and you see her and she's like, mm. <laughs> and you're like, I wasn't going to choose that one. I was going to, this one, this one, <laughs> this one. And she's like, so you'll, you'll choose that one. And so after a while, you're evaluated just by a certain look or even a certain, mm, just that sound. <laughs> I mean, just, just the small, subtle things. You get evaluated all the time. We evaluate ourselves all the time. But sometimes the evaluation in life is not, is not, or we don't evaluate ourselves in life to a point where we make those major adjustments, to make those major changes so that we can be the people that God made us to be. Joshua 24, verses 24 and 31, the people respond to Joshua. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. And then verse 31, the people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. See, the people heard his, his pleading, heard the, the commands of God. They heard the decision. Either you're going to serve those gods or you're going to serve this God. And Joshua made that mandate for his family that as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people followed. But Joshua's major fear was more than just making a statement and who would follow. You know what Joshua's major fear was? Even though throughout Scripture, Moses would tell Joshua and God would speak to Joshua, be strong and courageous. 
He had to be told that because Joshua's number one fear was that the people would not remain faithful to God. In fact, Joshua had no leader after him. Moses had Joshua, raised him up. Joshua had no one after that. There is no chapter 25 in the book of Joshua. It goes right into Judges. And Joshua was fearful that, well, what's going to happen with this nation? We have no leader that's going to lead them. And, and Joshua died shortly after giving his speech and, and getting the people settled. And so they were judged. That was their kind of their leadership. And so now Joshua is trying to get the people to follow God. Because Joshua knew that without God leading them, they would only revert back to their old ways. And isn't that true with us sometimes? If God is not leading us, we will revert back to our old ways. Boy, I remember it so vividly when Heidi and I would first start attending church, and we would come to church, we'd read the Bible, we'd pray, and then after a while, I would sense my old self coming back, my anger, uncontrolled temper, and, and these old things would come up and surface. And, and I remember thinking, why go church? Why, why am I even doing this if I'm not changing? That's where the adjustment had to come in. And that's our third point. The purpose of evaluating during halftime in sports is to make whatever adjustments are necessary for the next half of the game. The whole point of evaluating in this halftime of life is so that I can make those adjustments and not say, oh, no sense goal, but wait a minute, what adjustments do I need to make? What changes can I make? Because champions take advantage of halftime opportunities that their opponents seem to have missed and lost the game. Psalm 51 verses 10 and 11 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. So just think about it. What adjustments do we need to make? What adjustments do you need to make in your life? And we look, if we look at the basic areas of our family or relationships, uh, finances, uh, children or, or time or priority or spirit, what adjustments do we need to make? Maybe with our family, it is spending more time or in our relationships, it is attending church together and growing together in the Lord, praying together or forgiving one another, trusting in each other, trusting in God in your relationship. What, what about when it comes to our attitude? Maybe developing a spirit of humility with the Lord is something that we got to work on or patience or slow to anger. You know, there's something that we all can work on. Maybe our priorities are all over the place, all over the place and, and maybe we got to get back to God being our God, taking care of our families, husbands with your wives and wives with your husbands, that the greatest thing you can do for your family and your children as a husband and wife is to love one another. It's the greatest thing that you can do for your children. It gives them such security that everything else falls into place when you take care of each other. Maybe the priorities have to be redone. Maybe it's serving. Maybe God is calling you to serve in a ministry of some kind or to use your gift to serve Him. Maybe it's your spirit. Maybe you've lacked on doing devotions or reading the Word of God. Or maybe you've been thinking about, oh, I want to I wanna get better in my spirit. And now you're thinking about doing devotions and reading the Word of God. Or maybe continuously attending church and not just making church a religious thing, but being a part of the body of Christ. 
Maybe it's prayer. You haven't prayed in a while or you just kind of throw up prayers. Maybe it's joining a small group or, or starting a small group or even memorizing scripture. I have this uh, app on my phone that reminds me at 12 o'clock every day for scripture memory. And it pops up and I'll just pull it up and then I'll just do a fast a scripture memory. And it just helps put the word of God in our hearts so that when we are struggling or even before that, we already have the word of God in us. And scripture memory will do that. And so I thought about, well, when we have to make adjustments, it can be difficult because we're not prepared for it. Uh, but when you're prepared for it, then it works out well. Some of us, we're so good at eating. Like eating is, a, is, a, is, a, is an art to us. And so when you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, you don't wear a belt. You are elastic. You wear elastic sweatpants or, 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 or pants that kind of can flex with the belly. We, we actually prepare to eat so that when we're eating and we're full, our pants can adjust. <laughs> and then when we want dessert, we just take a couple breaths. <sighs> okay, I'll take a banana cream pie. And you're ready for the next thing. Well, that's what adjustment does. When we adjust in our life, it's like we prepare for it because something else needs to happen in our life. We need, we need to make certain adjustments. And Joshua made such clear adjustments and pinpointed accuracy adjustments that the people caught it and the nation of Israel is still here today because of the adjustments that they made back then and God's faithfulness. Joshua, excuse me, Deuteronomy 31 Verse 23, here's Joshua. Then he inaugurated, excuse me, Moses. Then he inaugurated Joshua, the son of Nun, and said, Be strong and of good courage, for you shall bring the children of Israel into the land of which I swore to them, and I will be with you. So Moses is passing the baton to Joshua, and the Lord is speaking this to him. And so Joshua makes some adjustments because of this calling. In Joshua 5.15, when he came opposite of this angel... And Joshua said, whose side are you on? And the angel said, I am with the captain of the Lord of hosts. The commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take, off, uh, take your sandals off your foot, for the place where you stand is holy. And what did Joshua do? Joshua did so. I would love for my name to be in that sentence when God speaks to me. If God speaks to me to adjust something in my schedule, to adjust my attitude, to adjust my priorities, to adjust my finances, to adjust forgiveness, have forgiveness in my heart, whatever it would be, that, it would, that, that, that statement would say, and Sheldon did so. You add in your name that you would say to yourself, or maybe in your, in your notes, just scratch out Joshua's name and put your name, that you did so. Because the greatest thing we can do in our life with God is make the adjustments that he commands us to make because he sees the second half of the game. He knows what adjustments need, that need to be made so that we can follow through and win the game of life. Joshua 7, 6. Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel... And they put dust on their heads. Basically, what they were doing is they were falling before God saying, we're going to make a major adjustment. We've got to make some changes. And then Psalm 34, verse 18, 
The Bible tells us that the Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and saves such as have a contrite, a contrite spirit. Contrite means to allow oneself to be crushed. It's like saying, I want to have a brokenness in my heart so that I can come to God fully with humility and open-hearted. That you're not prideful, but your heart is broken. That you're now coming before Him moldable. When you're able to do that, now God can make these adjustments. I want to close with this. That brokenness or that contrite spirit to allow oneself to be crushed is what Jesus did for you and I. He was crushed. He was bruised for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement of the Lord was upon him. He, he was crushed for us so that we could find rest in him, so that we can evaluate with him, so that he can make the adjustments that need to be made. And when we are able to come before him, right now you, you just might be fearful and you're, you don't know what the Lord is going to do or you don't know what life is going to look like in the second half. But fear, failure, if you think about it, failure to make adjustments allows the fear of failure to become a reality. You may just be fearing something right now. But the, the failure to make adjustments allows the fear of failure to become a reality. And maybe you're just fearful of becoming more distant with God or in a relationship or getting more in debt or losing faith or developing a worse or wrong attitude and, and priorities are not being in order, but it's not a reality yet. You can still make those changes. And sometimes we change the way we behave and then we change what we believe to fit our behavior, but God says, wait a minute, don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the opportunity to make these adjustments as I evaluate you and give you this rest. Make those adjustments. And missed opportunities says that there was an opportunity for God's blessing, but because I failed to make changes, I failed the opportunity to receive the promise. And so I don't want to fail in making these changes. I don't want to miss the opportunity. Sometimes we fail to make the adjustments and miss the opportunity for God's promise in our life because I cannot and neither can you see the second half of our life. And so we, we just don't want to make those adjustments. But God says, I see the second half. Missed opportunities and failure to receive God's promises. That missed opportunity was never meant to be the story of your life. That first half, whatever it looks like, was never meant to be the story of your life. There's still a second half. There's still another quarter to be played and then another quarter to be played. You play the full length of life, not just where you are today. You play to the very end. Everything that has happened up until this point is only meant to be the first half so that you know what to do in the second half of life, so you know what to do when you walk out these doors. Here's why we feel so crushed when we miss these opportunities. It's because the foundation to receive God's promises were never built on our ability to change ourselves. It is based on His ability to change our lives only when we allow the changes he wants to make in our lives 
during this thing called halftime. Let him make those changes. And allowing God to make changes during this halftime is not powerful because we make changes. It's powerful because the change that God brings into our life is based on the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not based on our changes. Our changes will fail us, but not the power of God. And the greatest change in our life is actually an exchange. It's an exchange with the life of Jesus Christ, his life for yours. And that's the power of God working in your life and in my life during this lifetime, not just the first half. Because as for me and my house, let's say it together, we will serve the Lord. Would you pray with me? Let's bow our heads for a moment. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, for coaching us, for directing us, for giving us rest, for evaluating our life, and for showing us where we need to make those adjustments. Help us as a family to work together so that we can support each other as you make these changes. The changes itself, Lord, does not give us power. What gives us power is your death and your resurrection, your salvation unto us. You've given that freely. In fact, there may be some here this morning, Lord, they've never given their hearts to you. Right now, they're in half time. They're evaluating. They're reassessing. They're, they're looking for you. They're looking for something. But we know that it's you, that you're the one that will give us the power. If you're here this morning and you're saying, I've never given my heart to Jesus Christ. I've never said yes to him. Then I want us to pray together. And in this prayer, what you're saying is, I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. In fact, we can all pray this together. And here's our prayer. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I ask for you to lead my life, to be my God, to be my Lord and Savior, to coach me every single day. I believe you died on the cross and you rose from the grave to give me a brand new life. I pray this in Jesus' name. With every head bowed and eyes closed, if you just said that prayer for the first time, I would love to just pray over you real briefly. If you could just lift a hand. You're saying, I just said yes to Jesus this morning. Good. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. And you prayed that prayer and you said, I, I want to follow Jesus. He's my Lord. Anybody else? Okay. God sees your hand back there. God bless you. You can put your hands down. Lord, I pray for all those that said yes to you. I pray that this new life, Lord, would be a reflection of your love for them. That they would understand fully how much you love them and how much they're forgiven. I pray for all of us, Lord. That we would take that time to evaluate if we need rest, rest for our soul, phys physical rest, and then to make those adjustments along the way. We trust in your power, not in our changes. We thank you in Jesus' precious name we pray, and we all said amen. Amen.